Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, here in Hour 2 of Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen will be back in the host chair tomorrow morning. Delighted to be joined by all of you as we fix our eyes on Jesus again today in the midst of what so much tension, so much uh, under, just not knowing for sure how to step the next few steps forward in this world. We can continue to lean on that eternal kingdom for our place of wisdom, for our place of hope, for our place of love and comfort as well. So glad to be joined by Paul Perot in studio this morning as well. Paul, I know that today is, again, the 4th of October, and it's also the feast day of St. Francis of mm-hmm. Assisi. And this is really worth celebrating. And his, his way of life, his willingness to not get attached to the things of this world is something that I think we can attend to in, in terms of how we just navigate the difficulty moving forward. Yeah, he. I did a little study on him years and years ago. And then also uh, when I was filling in for Carmen a few months back, um, I'm trying to remember what guest it was. We were talking about him because his story happened during the time of one of the Crusades, and he was very anti-Crusade because he felt, you know, no, we need to be people of peace. We need to be people who build bridges and dialogue. And, of course, it didn't work well for him in in that setting, but he was a different sort of person. And... You know, <laughs> there's a lot about him that I that I like. Yeah, I did a study not too long ago of that famous passage in Scripture that talks about whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me when Jesus is referencing that. And I, I think often that we associate least of these in that passage with anybody who is hurting and suffering in the world. And, and clearly the Bible talks in earnest about helping people that are hurting and suffering in general. But that specific passage is related Uh, to the people who have given up everything to follow Jesus on behalf of the gospel. And they're going to find themselves in prison. They're going to find themselves with a lack of food, a a lack of sustenance. And, And so Jesus is talking about taking care of the people who have given up everything to follow me, because so often they help continue the story in a way that's consistent with the kingdom. And St. Francis, of course, is one of those people that we can look towards who was untethered from the things of this world, even as he interacted within this world. And there's a great uh, prayer of St. Francis that we're going to put to music here this morning. Uh, well, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Thank goodness on that. But we do have a beautiful uh, snippet from a, the, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. So sit in this this morning for the next minute or so. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Mindy Belts from World Magazine to talk about some of the headlines of the day.
It is about nine minutes past the top of the hour. In hour one of Mornings Without Carmen, we talked a lot about the domestic headlines. We're going to turn our attention to the headlines around the world with Mindy Bells this morning from World Magazine. Good morning, Mindy. Good morning, Peter. I know one of the things you and I chatted about off the air as we were in preparation for this segment was the global supply chain crisis. I'm hearing so much about buy any Christmas gifts right now because the shelves are going to be relatively empty. I know for me as a person who both teaches in academia but also owns a business on the side, I uh, have to deal with global supply chain stuff every day, often through the night, talking with some of our suppliers in China as well as our domestic suppliers too. And it, it's really the real deal. That's uh, We're talking maybe 60 to 80 to 100 container ships that can't get docked off the coast of Los Angeles. Same thing at Tacoma, Seattle, Vancouver. Things are just stuck, and we're talking containers that are now twenty to twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars to to arrive on shore. That used to be six thousand dollars. So we're going to see a lot of inflation. We're going to see a lot of supply chain shortages moving forward. That's right, and. We're starting to see uh, major groups, the International Chamber of Shipping, for instance, that's in a letter to the UN, you know, just kind of a red alert that they need some changes in worker conditions, that they have a worker shortage that is just not going away. And any of us who've gone in a restaurant, tried to get help in a store, um, tried to buy an appliance, we've tasted a, a bit of this. But but I think what we don't recognize is how it, it does run completely through the supply chain. And I'll tell you one thing that I've been thinking about, Peter. I, I, you know, we have 20 million refugees in the world right now. And we, you know, we've talked about it on the program, we just keep not solving our refugee problem. And I've been talking with Afghans this past week, 50,000 of them who've gotten out of Afghanistan but are waiting to get into the United States or other countries. And I just want to, offer a pivot on, we we have an incredible labor shortage across the Western hemisphere. And if we could find a way to put some of these people to work, it seems to me like we would begin to address some of these issues. We just have a demographic in the West that is not going to make this problem go away soon. Yeah, I mean, I think what you just said is incredibly important. There is a labor shortage. I know in our business, it's it's difficult to find people to hire. And so where where is the intersection of the refugee crisis along with education as well as assimilation into our society? This might take a couple of years, but it's really important to to get people into the system in a way that is healthy and responsible, right? Right. And I think that our political leaders have, in effect, demonized refugees. You know, we've confused them with terrorists. Obviously, there could be a terrorist among refugees, but there could be a robber among our neighbors. You know, uh, that's part of life in the world. Um, and and I, just over and over again, when I talk to actual refugees, these are people who have professional degrees. These are people who have worked hard in their businesses and they've lost everything. And what a wonderful thing to give them purpose and meaning in life again and and giving them a job, giving them uh, a stake in the local community would be a great way to do that. Well, many of there's other things that are disrupting the supply chain and the labor shortages potentially as well. And that has to do with what's going on between China and Taiwan. Should uh, should what seems to be simmering right now erupt into full blown tension or war, that's just going to exacerbate the issue. So tell us what's happening there. Well, it's hard to believe, but we've just been watching this over the past year that China is really making moves on um, some sort of open, hot conflict with Taiwan. I still think that we're 
far from that, but we certainly are seeing things that we ought to be paying attention to. The latest thing is this incredible uptick in um, Chinese uh, fighter jet incursions into Taiwan's airspace. And, and specifically, a place I think you're going to start hearing more about is called the Pradas Islands. And I had to look it up when I first saw that that what a vulnerable place it is. It is a it is a flat island, it's very exposed, and where Taiwan has some of its military based. And and China has just been regularly doing flyovers there. This is something that's unprecedented. Um, I think it is as you look at it on a map, you just see, oh yes, if if China wants to be strategic, they want to take over this island because it is sitting right off the coast of Taiwan right at the top of the South China Sea and right there between, say, Australia and Taiwan. And, you know, we saw a lot in the news about the submarine deal um, between Australia and France that got nixed in favor of one with the U.S. so that Australia could get nuclear subs. And um, I, I worry, honestly, that we sort of upped the game there. I think this is a very dicey diplomatic military um uh, game that we're playing right now with China, trying to contain them, much as we did the Soviet Union back in the Cold War days, but also not wanting to to rush into an open conflict because it's just really hard to see where that would go. And who of us wants to see the United States get involved in another war at this time? So the Pradas Island, I believe, is going to become a really strategic place and something that we're going to be watching and seeing what happens next. Yeah, and as if the fire isn't uh, burning brightly enough, we can throw a little bit more gas on that related to the largest telecommunication equipment supplier in China is accused of spying on the West in a variety of ways. We see some hostages back and forth. I know how much uh, the media is controlled in China. When I interface with our suppliers there, we can't use Facebook. We can't use different messaging uh, global sites like that. We have to use something called WeChat, which is a China-sanctioned uh, right. messaging mm-hmm. device. And, and I'm sure that they're uh, spying on some some of the conversations, at least according to my suppliers. They're pretty careful what they say. So what are we seeing here? Well, Huawei is the the Chinese telecom giant. And I mean, it is everywhere. I was traveling Eastern Europe just on a stopover in Belgrade late last year. And, you know, Huawei is everywhere in downtown Belgrade. Mm. And so they have they have moved in to countries that are desperately in need of sort of playing catch up um, on telecommunications and, and internet connectivity and things like that. And um, and made themselves like a, like a go-to. And um, meanwhile, they're they're definitely using that technology for spying and surveillance. The the U.S. the British intelligence have documented that, and so what happened was you you had these oversteps and these legitimate charges that were filed against one of the Huawei executives in Canada, and she was held. And what what China did, which to your point was not disclosed and covered in Chinese media, China took into custody to a diplomat and a businessman, just a random Canadian diplomat and, and businessman, uh, while this woman was being, you know, legitimately through the Canadian legal system, charged and held on charges. And so <clears throat> I don't think there's any way to, there's no way to call it anything but hostage diplomacy. And it's pretty bold, but it's the kind of things that we see from China, just like the incursions into airspace um, without, you know, any kind of uh, notification or anything else, uh, China now has signaled that they will, if 
if their people are mistreated uh, abroad, if Huawei is infringed upon. And I, I think it reveals to you that people see Huawei in, in the West and, and in, other, in other countries as, as like a legitimate corporate giant. And it's a state-owned company, in effect. And we shouldn't lose sight of that because it is a company that is looking to, to um, make inroads into its ability to do espionage in Western countries. Yeah, I think, Mindy, clearly China really is on the rise as a global power uh, compared to maybe the generation which I would have grown up where China just seemed to be this exotic, foreign, somewhat unknown destination. I think moving forward, we see a lot of momentum coming from that part of the world to, to sort of dictate global events, right? Right. And, you know, there was this time where we thought that, you know, if China opens up and it becomes uh, it becomes an economic powerhouse, that will lead to democratization in China. And I think we really this is something that, you know, the the experts, the academics are studying. But we have to come to grips with what has happened, that that economic um, uh, success can also breed authoritarianism. Mm. Yeah, I think that's uh, it, it is interesting that that was the thought to open it up, that w- it would become more of a democracy. But I know even as recently as this past week, the government was able to levy uh, electrical electricity limitation mandates where they could only use half the amount of electricity around the country that they typically could. And, and all the factories just had to go along with it. So I, I think we do see an authoritarianism that will continue to contribute to the rise of China. Mindy, let's step away for a minute. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to what our president, Joe Biden, is doing with some of his international visits and what we can learn about the administration's priority from that. This is Mornings Without Carmen. It's about 18 minutes past the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for the day. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. Welcome back to the show. I've been chatting with Mindy Belts about some of the global headlines that are top of the mind here as we head into the new week on a Monday morning on the 4th of October. And Mindy, we see some of the priorities of the Biden administration in terms of international diplomacy with where he travels. What have you noted in some of the headlines there? Well, it is very interesting because it does look like, I mean, let's keep in mind, we in effect are in the early years or early time of the Biden administration still. So we, we don't want to like judge them harshly on this, but it's revealing that you have had, and keep in mind, we have COVID too, that has certainly put a clamp on travel everywhere. Um, but very little high level travel by President Biden or by Secretary of State Lincoln or by our defense secretary. Um and, and much more of the globe covered by the principles that are below them. And I think that's important because these are the people who are making key assessments and key decisions. Uh, Wendy Sherman is a name that we hear a lot about at the State Department. Uh, she's integrally involved in the uh, withdrawal aftermath from Afghanistan, which is something I've been covering a lot. But those people, you know, covered, covered um, the far far reaches of Asia. They covered a lot of uh, South America. But, you know, it's really notable when you look at this map that I'm looking on um, that was produced by Axios that it's it's just notable where nobody's been. And nobody has been to Africa, Mm. with the exception of a trip to Egypt by Secretary of State Blinken and and, um, our Pentagon head. And so, Uh, You know, that's always an issue. But one of the things I think we're seeing, and I think it's really important as we are are looking at news coverage and kind of evaluating what we're consuming that way, is that 
no one is really talking about how much the Biden administration is like the Trump administration. You know, the Trump administration was accused of being transactional, took a very um, sometimes cold-hearted assessment of what its priorities around the world were. And, and this is pretty much what we're seeing under Joe Biden. And so you've got in Africa, you've got a desperate need for COVID-19 vaccines right now. You have got some desperate conflicts going on. You have got, I mean, all of the major counterterrorism watch groups are saying that the terrorism in the Sahel is the worst in the world right now and is really the flashpoint we need to be paying attention to. And yet here you have two top officials, not the president, but two top officials who have sat down in Egypt um, right at the tip, you know, very much more a country that's part of the Middle East than a p- country that's part of Africa. No trips at all to sub-Saharan Africa. I think I think that's a major oversight. I think we are going to see terrorism and destabilization coming out of sub-Saharan Africa that we ought to be paying attention to. So that's just one thing. I mean, I, I mean, it's it is also interesting how much they have avoided strategic places like Afghanistan, like Iraq, um, like. Uh, you know, parts of, uh, I mean, parts of Southeast Asia, you know, the countries around Myanmar, places where we're seeing just incredible um, devastation and harm from open conflict right now, the Biden administration has hardly touched on them. And Mindy, there is... In terms of actual feet on the ground, let me be clear to say that. Right, right. And and there is a direct correlation historically between lack of social and lack of economic opportunity with extremism religiously in, in terms of the rise of terrorism. But that happens in a lot of different world religions. It's not just the Islamic one, that when, when faced with not a real hopeful future, there tends to be this this really extreme ideology that emerges from that. Right. And I think that what you see is, you know, in this incredible emphasis on China, what is running beneath that is that we really care about the places we can invest in. We don't care so much about the places we keep dumping aid in. And I think that is a disservice to to um, to those countries, first of all. But it also is a disservice to American taxpayers, if you think about it, because because we are we are regularly pouring money into the continent of Africa. And I'm not arguing that we shouldn't be doing that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm simply saying that we have an obligation to see how, how our, our, our tax dollars are being used and to be promoting investment. And, you know, when I go to Africa, I see different parts. I see um, changes that are happening. I see incredible entrepreneurial spirit. What, what the internet age has done for Africa is remarkable, but we aren't getting behind those things. Instead, we're confronting China. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's one or the other, but I just think this is a major oversight. Mindy, we have just about a minute left and uh, switching our attention to COVID globally for just a moment. We see that for the first time in a very long time, an actual decrease in the numbers in terms of life expectancy. What are we noting here? Well, it's incredibly stark. It, it's it's a lot of bad news. We're seeing that in 28 countries that were surveyed, and, and again, I think this is a really reliable way to look at the effect of COVID-19. That is at life expectancy, not at excess deaths and not at mortality rates, which right now we don't maybe have a clear picture yet of that. Um, but life expectancy at birth dropped in all but two of 28 countries between 2019 and 2020. And COVID-19 is the prime reason for that. Only Denmark and Norway escaped 
that trend in the West. And America, no surprise, uh, with the world's highest COVID-19 death toll, fared the worst. Male life expectancy has fallen more than two years in that one-year span of time. And, And what we would normally see across the entire last century is that life expectancy in places like the United States and places like Britain generally improves by a year or two over that kind of, um, of, of span of measuring it. And so we're talking about a century, uh, a, a century's worth of a trend, a trend change in a short period of time. It's going to be something that is with us and something that we're going to have to really confront, I think, um, in, a, in a serious and deep way. Mm. Well, Mindy, thanks for joining us. I was thinking this morning on the way in that there are 700,000 fewer people in the United States of America than there were at the start of COVID, just as simply as a result of, of the number of people who have died from this uh, horrific disease. So uh, thanks just for all the ways you walk through the different headlines with us from a Christian standpoint and have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Peter. We'll take a short break and do some bottom of the hour news, and we will wrap up the show in the second half of this hour with talking with Derwin Gray, who's a former NFL player, and he wrote a book called God, Do You Hear Me? Well, the subject of prayer is something that is often confusing for many of us. I know the importance of following the voice of our shepherd in this world as we go to him in prayer for what our next steps in life. I know my daughter, for example, Anna, is listening in Scotland right now, having followed the Lord's voice there. And I know for her, it hasn't always been easy to do so. And yet we continue to follow that independent of the circumstances. And we're going to talk a lot more about prayer up next here with former NFL player Dr. Derwin Gray, who wrote a book, God, Do You Hear Me? And it's a bit of a mini catechesis on the Lord's Prayer. So stay with us if you want to learn more about following the voice of the shepherd in this world. This is Max Lucado. The setting of the book of Esther is the city of Susa in 5th century B.C. Persia, modern-day Iran. The empire consisted of roughly 44% of the world's population. Xerxes, the king, had a thirst for wine, a disregard for women, and convictions that were prone to change with the weather. Haman is the villain in our story. He had the ear of the king, the swagger of a pimp, and the compassion of Hitler. Haman told the king in Esther 3, verses 8 and 9, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people of your kingdom and let a decree be written that they be destroyed now these certain people these were the hebrew nation that god preserved they were a chosen race through whom god would redeem mankind he had something special in store for them just like he does for you today this is max locato it's like the It is about 21 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 4th of October. I'm Peter Kapser filling in for Carmen LeBurge and delighted to be joined by Dr. Derwin Gray this morning with the book, God, Do You Hear Me? We don't have copies to give away, unfortunately, but I highly recommend this book. It is a book that gets into the depth and the substance of prayer beyond just sort of uh, maybe a, a few devotionals here. And that really takes us into the depth of the Lord's Prayer in particular as a model and as a way of understanding life in the kingdom. Good morning, Derwin. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing well. It's been so fun to chat with you even before this uh, segment going live, just about your heart and, and what you care about in prayer. Tell us just generally about this book. What prompted you to want to write this book, God, Do You Hear Me? And then we'll talk specifically about the Lord's Prayer. 
Yeah, thank you so much. You, you know what? What prompted me to to want to write this book is, um, I love prayer because I love Jesus, and I love Jesus because of prayer. Um, prayer, prayer is a pathway to intimacy. Intimacy means into me you see, and God longs for His people to see Him in the face of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, right? And, and, and so what prayer is about, particularly the Lord's prayer, which I believe is the magnus opus of all prayers, is God is saying, I want you to see my heart. And secondly, I want you to see my will for your life. And so the Lord's prayer is God saying, hey, I, I want to sit down with you. And I don't want you just to talk. I, I want you to listen. I don't want you just to ask for stuff. I want you to, to be with me. And from being with God, from, from hearing God's heart, our hearts are transformed into the image of the Son of God, which is God's goal from day one. Darren, one of my favorite things that you say about prayer is that the biggest mistake I see is that people often see God as a cosmic Venmo. If you just say the right things and ask hard enough, God will transfer what you want into your account. I think a lot of us knowingly and maybe unknowingly live that way, just believing if we can sort of say the right words or wave some sort of magic prayer wand, that then we'll we'll be able to to motivate God to move on our behalf the way we want him to. But this just really isn't how prayer works. No, it's not. But, um, you, you know, I all of us are in this human condition in a broken world, and we want relief. Uh, there's so much to be afraid of. We, we're, we're, like, we're like, God, help us. But then you compound that as Western people, we are products of the enlightenment. And so what happens is, is we become consumers. And so we actually consume God. But the great thing about our God is just like when we are children, we ask our parents for stuff that we may not necessarily need. And God will meet our needs, but we have to grow beyond, okay, God, I have a problem, change me. What if God is actually using the problem to change us? What if the very thing that we're praying to get out of is what God allowed so he could get more of Christ out of us? What if Genesis 50, 20 is actually true, that what the enemy meant for evil, God means for good? And if you notice with the Lord's Prayer, notice that it starts with our Father. It doesn't start with ask for this, ask for that, give me this, give me that. It starts with this beautiful term, our Father, our Abba. The English equivalent to the Aramaic word is Papa. It's a it's a term of endearment. It's a term of love. It's a term that looks like the cross and looks like the empty tomb. It's a term of God saying, enter my care, enter my kingdom, enter my purpose. And so God is not a Venmo. He is a king, and by grace, he allows us to participate in his kingdom, and the Lord's Prayer is the marching orders of that kingdom. Yeah, let's get into the Lord's Prayer a little bit more fully now, uh, since you introduced it in, in that way. Maybe an opening question about that would be, is the Lord's Prayer, is it important that we say the actual words of the Lord's Prayer? Uh, is it important that we understand the heart of it? How, how would you process that question? Uh, yes to both. <laughs> uh, so in the m morning when I take a shower, uh, I quote the Lord's prayer from memory. And I, I, I say, Lord, let this be true in my life, my family, Transformation Church, the church around the world, and for unbelievers who are yet to discover Christ. And then throughout the day, I'm using the Lord's prayer as a framework. So think of it in these terms. Um, 
when you go to see a, a dance, like a Broadway show, the dancers have a choreographer. And so view the Lord's prayer as Jesus saying, hey, uh, I want to give you some choreography of how to pray so you can dance to the rhythm of God's grace. And so it starts with our father, and then it moves into uh, your name be set aside as holy. What in the world does that mean? It means this, that in the world, there are going to be so many false gods whispering sweet nothings in our ear, trying to distract us, trying to get us to distrust, trying to get us to be devoured by dark powers, and to set God's name apart as holy is like a wedding ring. I've been married for 29 years. I'm taken. Well, when we set God's name apart as holy, it's because he's taken us in the grip of his grace, through the cross, through the resurrection. And then what is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is Jesus. When Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood, that's the kingdom. When Jesus died on the cross, that's the kingdom. When Jesus rose again, that's the kingdom. When Jesus took a little boy's happy meal and fed 5,000 men and probably another 11 or 12,000 women and children, that's the kingdom of God. When Jesus goes to Samaria to break down racial walls and then to meet a Samaritan woman, he breaks down gender walls. That's the kingdom of God. And God wants to form that in us. Jesus is the bread of life. He meets our needs, not our greeds. Jesus is the fountain of forgiveness. And Jesus is the one who overcame sin, death, and evil. We don't have to be afraid because we're more than conquerors in him who is in Christ. And so the Lord's prayer is a picture of the person and work of Jesus and the Lord's prayer is God's will for our life. And so when we pray the Lord's prayer, whether word for word, or we use it as a choreographed dance, God hears that prayer because it's God's will. So many of our prayers are not God's will. It's not God, your will be done. It's God, my will be done. I think what you just said, too, about that kingdom theology, Derwin, is so important for bringing a stabilization in what is such an uncertain life, right? I, I think we, in, in ways maybe unwittingly, we lean into the kingdoms of this world for our sense of shalom and our sense of peace and look at the circumstances around us in a broken world uh, for, for that sense of peace. But we're talking about learning from a different kind of kingdom that is the only eternal kingdom. Yeah, you, you know, and so... Rarely within evangelicalism do we actually talk about the kingdom of God. But if you read Paul, you read mm. Jesus, you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, it's very clear that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, right? Caesar's not king. Republicans are not king. Democrats are not king. Socialism. Jesus is king. And Ephesians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in the kingdom. And even if you notice what the Lord's prayer do on earth as it is in heaven. And so if God's goal was simply to get us to heaven, when we follow him, we would all die the minute we say yes to him. <laughs> all right. Why does he leave us here? He leaves us here to replicate his ministry and mission in everyday life, that the kingdom of God is within us. And so Every other aspect of life is secondary to learning from the king. If you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it looks like the Lord's prayer. It looks like love with the Father. It looks like going into the world loving and forgiving and standing for justice. It looks like being pro-life from the womb all the way to the tomb. It looks like 
telling people about the greatest gift of all. It looks like choosing kindness in a world that's angry. It looks like choosing compassion in a world that is uncompassionate. It looks like Jesus. Hmm. Jeremy, so helpful. And I, I appreciate what you just said there, just even about evangelism, that the, 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 the good news is not just this idea that we somehow get heaven when we die. Heaven is simply our home towards which we're walking. And we bear witness to that home as we do life on this earth so that everybody else can be called safely home as well. We need to step away for just a minute. When we come back, let's talk more about some of these other aspects of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to ask you about what it means to not be led into temptation. We're talking with Dr. Derwin Gray about prayer and his book, God, Do You Hear Me? Let us pray. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. We're chatting with Dr. Derwin Gray about his book uh, on prayer. God, do you hear me, Derwin? Before we get back into the Lord's Prayer, uh, listeners should know that you are also an NFL player for about six years, and I'm a follower of the Minnesota Vikings. Where, you know, there, There's a lot of hope in prayer. There's a lot of hope in God's kingdom. I'm not finding much hope in the Minnesota Vikings right now, Derwin. Is there anything you can help me with here? Yeah, you know, hey, uh, you got you to gotta understand this. The NFL is comprised of the best players in the world. And at the end of the season, only one team is happy, and that's the team that wins the trophy. And so the NFL is a zero-sum game. And, you know, it's not like college where it's Alabama versus someone not as talented. Everybody's (laughs) talented. And so, you know, you just want to see your team continue to progress and get better every week. And once you get in the playoffs – Anything can happen, but as an NFL player, we we take wins and losses much differently than fans do because we understand, like, hey, that guy's just as good as me. And most NFL games are only determined by less than six points. Mm. And so you, you know, it, it takes staying healthy, um, it takes some breaks, and it takes unrelenting effort to make it happen. So, <laughs> you know, I haven't watched the Vikings much, but uh Anything can happen. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get back to, to prayer on this. This book, uh, God, do you hear me again? If you're listening to the to Derwin's insights into prayer this morning, you want to get more of that. Uh, you can probably head to Amazon to any bookselling site. It's a great book, God, do you hear me? And we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, Derwin. During the break, you and I and Paul were chatting a little bit about temptation and forgiveness and the tie into the Exodus. Yeah. So some really great stuff here. So take our listeners into that. Yeah, you, you, you know, so so I don't want to get overly complicated, but I do think that we've dumbed down the faith. When we say things like forgiveness of sins, we take more of a Western perspective of it. The term forgiveness of sins is beautifully and depthly Jewish. Like Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he is the sum total that fulfills the Jewish sacrificial system. Jesus is the Passover lamb who frees us not from Pharaoh, but from sin, death, and evil so that we can begin an exodus towards the promised land, which is new heavens, new earth. Jesus is the lamb of God, who is the new eternal Yom Kippur, day of atonement. Jesus's blood eternally atones us. Jesus's blood eternally declares us righteous and makes God's forever friend. And so forgiveness of sins is simply the door being opened into this wider kingdom of what it means to follow God on this new exodus. We've been set free from the dark powers that on the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus obliterated, defeated Satan, 
left death in a tomb and freed us from the power of sin. So we've got to begin to be more than simply a Friday people. We are a Sunday morning people when life himself walked out of a tomb of death and that tomb of death became a womb of life. And so we're now journeying with God, gathering people by sharing the good news, by bearing witness to his justice in the world and say, hey, there's a new world that's coming. We're a foretaste of it and you can join us. And so what I'm saying in this book is our prayers are too earthly and they're too small because our gospel is too small. Hmm. This book will help you see a whole new world of how big and how beautiful God is. Our faith has become too what I call populist. And what I mean by, by that is let's dumb it down. Tell folks, listen, death's going to come. You don't want to die. Believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. Well, that's not the Jewish story. The Jewish story is God himself visited people and he became king. And by grace through faith, he brings people into the kingdom to bear witness. The term bear witness means to shine a light. You know, case in point, you are a Minnesota Vikings fan and you're bearing witness. You're wanting Randy Moss to come back. You're wanting Adrian <laughs> Peterson to come back. I mean, you want all these, right? Well, guess what? Well, Jesus did come back from the dead. It's called the resurrection. He lives in us. And now he wants to bear witness that a better world is coming. It's yeah. called the new heavens and new earth. And prayer allows us to enter that experience. Yeah, it's so critical, Derwin. I, I, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about what Paul says. He says, if the resurrection has not happened, then our faith is actually in vain. And so to truncate the gospel at only Good Friday, as opposed to the heart of the good news, is that the power of sin and death has been forever conquered, and we can live within that newfound resurrection power as we're doing life in this perishable world. That's what we're bearing witness to, right? Is, is the eternal kingdom of heaven, where everything will be reconciled again one day, in the midst of the meantime of that, we bear witness through, through breaking the power of and death. Yeah. And, 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 and so even the term heaven, right? So heaven from a Jewish worldview simply meant the presence of God. Right. And so when we look at Revelation 21, one and four, we see a new Jerusalem and a new heavens and a new earth. Like God isn't going to go, okay, I'm throwing this uh, uh, earth away. He's going to renew it. He's going to restore it. And on this renewed, restored earth, we're going to be there with resurrected, glorified bodies. There's not, there's not going to be any Casper, the friendly ghost. We're not going to be clear. <laughs> we're going to bring our colors. We're going to bring our cultures. That's why every nation, tribe, and tongue is surrounded by the King. And so I, I, I'm really sensing God prompting me to tell the reader, your gospel is too small. Your prayer life is too earthly. Enter into the choreography of God's kingdom prayer and begin to experience life till its fullest. God's goal is simply not for us to escape this broken world. He left us here to be healers of a broken world and pointing to the fact that the king will return. And when he does, all glory and power and might will be in his hand. Mm. And there's... Amen, yeah, Derwin. Yeah. Amen. We got to leave it there, unfortunately. But uh, boy, if you're looking for a book to pick up here in the month of October at any time and dive into, highly recommend that this is the one you pick up. Uh, called God, Do You Hear Me? Derwin Gray. It's uh, just a great invitation into prayer, but more than prayer, it's about manifesting the kingdom and bearing witness to that eternal King Jesus. Derwin, thanks so much for joining us this morning. 
Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll step away for just a minute and wrap up our show here for the 4th of October on Mornings Without Carmen. It's raining tacos. Well, as we wrap up our show here on National Taco Day, I hope you enjoy a breakfast burrito a little later. But more importantly than that, of course, I was just so glad that Derwin Gray said what he said as he bore witness to the eternal kingdom in this book. God, do you hear me? Uh, you talked a lot about the truncation of the gospel. If it only ends at Good Friday, as important as Good Friday is, and it is important where the reconciliation happened, the purpose of that reconciliation is that we can live by a new power to shine the future in the present of the great reconciliation where the one who is veiled and flesh will come unveiled in glory and all things will be set right. And in the meantime, we are the keepers of that story, shining that light in the broken world around us. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Continue to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.